Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning. It is three past nine. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith. Uh, Smithy had a, an action-packed weekend, uh, so is uh, chilling his boots today. But I am in the hot seat, and speaking of hot seats, uh, is the hottest seat Mark Robinson's or Ian Foster's? Uh, we will get to that. We've got plenty coming through the text machine from this morning as well, and uh, another couple of goodies have just landed. From eight thir- uh, sorry, from 9.30, we'll be opening the phone lines, taking your calls, get your takes on uh, the sport from the weekend. I would imagine the All Blacks are going to dominate that. Uh, before we do that though, Richard Lowe is going to come on the show, uh, former All Black hard man, uh, Cant- uh, Cantabrian as well these days, so has been for quite some time. We'll get Lowy's take on where the All Blacks are at and his old mate Ian Foster as well as old boy Caddo teammate. After 10 o'clock, we're going to cover off the US Tennis Open. Uh, we've had all the qualifying. Uh, the first round proper gets underway tonight. Brett Phillips from SEN is our tennis man. He is going to come on after 10 o'clock. We're going to talk uh, the big tournament, the last big major of the season. And of course, Serena Williams probably, I don't think she's confirmed it, but probably her swan song as well. Brett Phillips is going to join us and we will talk about all that after 10. After 11 o'clock, Andrew Voss is going to come on. We are going to talk rugby league, the NRL, and we'll also um, ask him about how he's going with his refereeing because there'll be times when he has both Cameron Smith and Brandy Alexander in studio or overlapping each other and those two have been throwing barbs over the last few weeks. Uh, the Melbourne Storm Panthers rivalry certainly heating up. So you've got all that and more to come here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, no Smithy today, of course, though. Ricardo Ball in for you through till midday today. Normally we have a Smithy sermon at this time, but no Smithy, no sermon. But that's all right. You got Ricardo, and here are my reckons. First test loss to Argentina. Back-to-back defeats on the Northern Tour. First ever home loss to Ireland. First ever test series loss to Ireland. Biggest loss to the Springboks in 94 years. Lowest world ranking ever. First loss at home to Argentina. Three losses in a row on home soil for the first time in our 119-year history. All of this in the last 21 months on Ian Foster's watch as All Black coach. 
the black and white plumage you see when you cast your eyes in the direction of NZ Rugby isn't a proud korowai, but the back end of an ostrich with its head buried so deeply in the sand it's not only blind but also deaf to what's going on. The sensory-deprived office of Mark Robinson has had three opportunities to rectify the mistake it made in appointing Foster to the top job and has steadfastly refused to admit that a mistake has been made or even that they're capable of making one. Dana Johansson's excellent article on stuff over the weekend only reinforces this. The Players Association itself, as part of their agreement to sign the Silver Lake deal, demanded a full independent review of the game's governance due to concerns over their blowing up relationships, including that with Sanzar, the provincial unions, the Players Association itself, and I quote, a dismissive and arrogant attitude towards the media and, by extension, the public. It's that word arrogant again. It raises its head so often when discussing New Zealand rugby. If the Players Association can see all of this, why can't NZR? And what does it say about how they perceive themselves and the wider sporting public? This conversation is no longer about Ian Foster. It's about the administration who put him there, and through sheer bloody-mindedness have refused to admit they've made the wrong call in the face of all the evidence to the contrary. Right, here it is. Cabelli gets it in. All Blacks pushing hard. Matera running towards the touchline. Time is up on the clock. There goes the siren, and Cabelli kicks it out. Argentina win for the first time in New Zealand. Wow, what a win. Yeah, that was the final throws of the test in Christchurch on Saturday night. And joining us to talk that and more is former All Black prop Richard Lowe. Good morning, Richard. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. Good, thank you. Thanks for giving us some time and coming on this morning. Um, I don't know if you were there, but I know you would have watched. Uh, what was your takeaway from Saturday night? First of all, no, I wasn't there. I did watch, though, and the sun did not come really come up here in Canterbury uh, yesterday, but it's a brilliant day today, so we can't complain too much. Um, my take on it, um, I thought it was dismal. Um, for a starter, getting out to a lead and then frittering it away with silly penalties uh, really annoyed me. But probably the biggest annoyance was... And, you know, I've heard different people comment and say, you know, the coach is this, the coach is that, and the players have to take responsibility. And they're all all very correct. But, you know, to highlight how poor the regime is, and I think selection's a big thing, first of all, and then the way they go about their game plan and how they uh, perceive they see the game, there are two subs on Saturday night that were pathetic and that's the only way you can describe them. First, you've got a hooker playing out of his skin and he's clearly the number one hooker. Why the hell can't he play for 80 minutes? Yeah, and bring on a hooker that's way all form etc. Um, and you know can't throw the ball to his man. I think he had four or five missed throws, 
uh, in, in that last 30-odd minutes. So, you know, that really put the pressure on. And then to bring someone on with less than a minute to go uh, for their debut, you know, what are the coaching staff thinking or doing? Well, it's almost insulting, isn't it? And it doesn't that also degrade the jersey? It does. You know, you, you, everyone, and I've been asked, uh, you know, I, I spoke at a function down in Geraldine uh, during the week, and they it, most memorable game, they said, in the all-black jersey. And I said, it always, you always has, have to think about your debut. Mm. You know, that's your number one. That's your first first game. And for him, you know, what does he remember? If he never, ever plays for the All Blacks again, he had 40 seconds or something. Which is, you know, uh, but put that all aside, why did the coaches do it uh, has not been explained, and I don't think they could explain it. And, uh, you know, I think the rot of the whole system has been rotten from the top down for a long time. And, you know, take Steve Chu for what he was and Harry was. He was perceived as reasonably arrogant and did what he liked and probably still does to this day. But it all filtered right through to those that were employed. You know, lockdown came and they got rid of a huge percentage of their staff in the Kremlin and Wellington. And, it did, and you know, and it's gone right through the high performance. They've got people in the high performance you and I should be able to go and take a under twenty team to the to to the uh, world champs and do reasonably well. We haven't done that for six years, so we haven't got a. We, you know, they're not identifying talent from day one. The, you know, I, I think the rot even starts further down than under twenties. I reckon, you know, we put too much emphasis on our first fifteen, and we end up with a whole lot of big kids. 18, 19, some 20, playing first 15 rugby. And the number of those first 15 rugby players that go on to play club rugby are very few. That, that you know, it's all just, it snowballs into a great uh, mess in it after all. I thought it was interesting, Lowy, I don't know if you read Dana Johansson's piece um, on stuff yesterday, uh, but one thing that, you know, she sort of pointed out that she thinks has kind of been lost is the Players Association coming to the table over the Silver Lake deal. Um, one of the conditions was a full independent review of the governance of the game. That Not enough to probably be made of that, especially in light of some of the things they've said. I mean, if the Players Association, as I said in my uh, my preamble before you came on, you know, if, they, if they're calling NZR's dealing with the media and the general public arrogant, um, it, that says a lot, doesn't it, if that's coming from the Players Association? Yeah, and, and dare I say it, I've seen a fair bit of that right back to my era. There's always been one or two on it. But you take the board as it is now and the individuals that are on it. When Mitchell was um, made chairman, you know, I know people in this area sort of went, holy hell, is that right? You know, he bought nothing, really brings nothing to the table. They've got individuals on that board that don't bring a lot to the game. They've got a couple of women that were very good at what they did and what they do outside rugby, but do they bring anything to the board? They've got individuals there. And then that overlooked, uh, uh, his name escapes me now from up the East Coast, uh, that got beaten for the chairmanship. Oh, Bailey Mackey? You know, some, 
Bailey Mackey, he would have been, from what I can understand, read about him and told about him, he, he would have brought a bit of vigour and vibrancy to to the or you know to the board. And to me, you know, when when they stood up the other week and um, said Foster had the job through until after the World Cup, why was that's the CEO's job to announce that, not Mitchell? And Mitchell get, got up there thinking he's playing Mary Hell, waving the big flag making the announcement. Well, A, that was a load of crock anyway because they'd only reviewed them 18 months before and they got that wrong then. So, you know, I think the top echelon should be ducking for cover and, you know, Plumtree and Moore got pushed sideways out the back door but I think a few of the others that are making decisions should follow them. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I couldn't... Um I couldn't believe that Ian Foster held his held on to his job, you know. I mean, and, and, and I'm at a I'm at a point, Lowy, and I know you played with the bloke. You know him better than I do, and uh, where I feel sorry for the bloke because he's been left with his backside hanging in the wind, um, and and really has no support. He's just been told to get on with it. Yeah, and did right, you know. Foster's a nice chap outside rugby. You know, played for, with him for seven or eight years up in the Waikato. And yes, he's a nice chap, but Harry got to where he has through coaching is, you know, he, he was, after he was a, a player at the Chiefs, he became water boy and followed the course through there, had the Chiefs, did no good, become uh, Hanson's sidekick and just moved on through there. <coughs> I don't think he's ever coached the under-11s or like Razor Robson went out and took the, uh, what was it, the Sutton um, seniors from basically a second division team to getting in the top four or something and then went on to the under-20s, did that. He's done a lot of coaching. And what I'm not saying coaching is everything, but selecting is a lot too. And, you know, it's digressing. But you take the four props he selected, him and Plumtree and Co. selected at the beginning of the year. They were like a bottle of milk. The use-by date had well and truly come up, and I was up for the first test in Auckland there, talking to, with staying with Joe Stanley and talking to JK and everything. I said, the big men, the powerful men, but that's all they can do. That, that's all you can say about them. They br- actually bring nothing to the table, and if you were to mark any of them tomorrow in the game, that, that they, wouldn't, they wouldn't put the fear up to you, where someone like Young De Groot, or, or uh, Fletcher Newell, you'd think, holy hell, these young fellas are powerful. You have to be on top of your game. Uh, so, you know, selection's all gone out the window, right from, dare I say it, the board selecting the coaches, right through the, the coaches they selected, selecting the team. You know, yes, the players on the field have to take a bit of responsibility and do the job, which I don't think they're doing, Cody Taylor, for example. Uh, but where does it start? Well, that's a great question. Where does it start, mate? Because, you know, you, you talked uh, about the administration and the selection of the coaches. You talked about the selection of the team as well. I mean, there there does seem to, and Jeff Wilson actually talked about this before the Super Rugby season talk, uh, kicked off, about the homogeny of New Zealand Super Rugby teams. How everybody is encouraged by NZR to play the same way and therefore we don't know how to play any differently when it comes to the international stage and you and you play a team that sets up differently. Uh, it's not all about props being able to chip and chase or offload on the run. 
um, or sprint 60 metres in the sa- at the same time as the centre. Uh, props should be there, you know, for their scrummaging, and that seems to have been lost to an extent. Yeah, and, you know, you can go back high performance. You know, there was someone employed at the Highlanders and one for the NZRFU high performance trainers or what call them what you like. And after a whole season of super rugby, the group got told he wasn't fit enough. What the hell were they been doing? Mm. And yet he can go back to Southland Club Rugby for four or five weeks and get fit and get selected. You know, it, it baffles me how those sort of people stay in their job when they haven't been doing their job. And, you know, poor old Fozzie, it'd be on quite a good salary, I'd suspect. If that was in the commercial world, he would have been, or he probably would have fallen on and saw just, you know, put his hand up and said, it's buck stops with me, put his hand up and stepped down, or he would have got resigned. Yet he just, you know... When you're when you when you're up at the top of the tree, the branches are very thin. If you don't do things right, they break and you fall. And for some reason, he's sitting on a one hell of a strong branch. Mm. Yeah, he very much is, mate. He very much is. It's well put, Lowy. Um, what about you know? We talk about management of of the resources. What about the coaching resources? Because it seems that after the first test loss in South Africa, Scott Robertson was given the go ahead to put his team together because he was going to be, you know, they were going to pull the trigger. So he's gone and done that. He's upset the cart at Wellington because uh, he wanted the Canes coach, Jason Holland. He's upset the cart at yep. Auckland because he wanted Leon McDonald as part of that. And then that all gets blown up. So you've left him hanging in the wind. Uh, we've seen, you know, we've lost the expertise of someone like Dave Rennie, who improved exponentially on Foster's coaching record when he went in at the Chiefs. We've seen people like Vern Cotter go. We've seen Jamie Joseph go. We've seen Chris Boyd go. I mean, there aren't a lot of options for New Zealand rugby now because of the way they have treated some of these people and burnt bridges with some guys who have excellent IP and they've taken it offshore. Yeah, dare I say it, um, you mentioned Rennie taking over from Foster at Chiefs with basically the same, same cattle and did a better job. So, you know, ask yourself, you know, it goes like that. And, yes, we've got a lot of good coaches right around the world. And you look at them and you think they're lost. And why would they come back? Why would the Jamie Josephs and Tony Browns want to put their name forward when the organisation is such in such a muddle? And you're saying about when... After that first loss in South Africa, I don't know, you might be able to tell me or someone might be able to put their hand up and tell us that after that game, that first test in South Africa, he was gone. Foster was gone. Mm. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done all that. You know, no one's come out and denied that they had Razor all standing to attention, ready to go. And I, I heard just this other week, this before this weekend, just this other week, that... It came down to a 50-50 split of the board whether he stays or not. And basically either, either flipped a coin or did paper, uh, paper, scissors, rock to see whether he stayed. Which, you know, come on. The board are put there. It's how many multi-million did you say that the organisation is? Um, and we've got it run by a 50-50 split with a casting vote. It's hard to fathom that somehow. 
Yeah, really hard to fathom, mate. Really hard to fathom because the thing is that our, you know, from an All Black point of view, as a fan, that you worry about is like, well, you know, Razor's going to become disenfranchised. He's going to look for opportunities offshore, and at the end of the twenty twenty three World Cup, uh, we're going to be looking for a new coach. I would, I would wager. And what are our options going to look like? Because I don't think there's going to be any. Probably Charlie Brown that coaches for Ekaterina or someone like that might put their hand up because most of the others have gone offshore. And, you know, like I said, if Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown have half a good run at the World Cup next year, the Japanese are going to pour a lot of gold into that pot to keep them. And same with Dave Rennie. If Australia have half... Imagine the contract that Dave Rennie will be given the Wallabies uh, take the better slow cup this year, let alone do well in the World Cup. Mate, it's... No, you know, it, yeah. And and that's got to be a worry for not just fans, but actually the administration too. I mean, the, I think the Bleeders' Low is probably under more threat than it's been in, what, 15, 20 years? It might have to add another decade to that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're dead, you're dead right. It, it, it's a bit of a dilemma. And I, I think it's time for the powers of be to put up their hand and take ownership of this and sort it out once for all. You know, I don't know what they're going to do. They're the ones that put the hand up and got onto the board and made the decision. They have to now rectify it. And, you know, for the fan, you know, people are talking about going over as a fan and what, uh, to the World Cup next year. I bet just poor old um, travel agents are struggling to fill those spots now because, you know, the way we're playing, can you see us winning three big matches back-to-back over there? Because that's what you have to do to win the World Cup. Well, we play France first, and if we don't win that in France, we'll finish second in the group and have to play the winner of Ireland's Springboks in the quarterfinal. Yeah, but... Yeah, doesn't matter. Put that first game aside. Win, win, lose, draw, doesn't matter. Then you've got Namibia and all those sort of things to come. So you hopefully get through that unscathed. But then you play that Ireland or South Africa. You have to win that one. And then you have to go through and go from there, don't you? Yeah, well, mate, I think, to be honest, as things stand, I expect us to be on a plane about quarterfinal time. Um, and you know, and I don't say that with any pleasure, but that's that's the expectation. That's where it sits for me, Loey. Uh, listen, mate, really appreciate you coming on today. I really appreciate your time and uh, your insight as well, mate. Always good to chat. Go well and have a great day. All right, thank you. Cheers, Richard Lowe there with us, uh, giving us his thoughts on New Zealand rugby and uh, the current landscape. It is twenty five past nine here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's bang on half past here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. No Smithy today, Ricardo, in for you. We'll be taking your calls too over the next half an hour. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Caller of the day wins a $50 Chemist Warehouse gift card. If you can't get on the blower, then make sure you send us a text to the Temper Bedpost text machine. 8833 is the number. 8833 Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. We'll put your feet up, send us a text, get on the blower 0800 150 811 or 8833 and we'll get your thoughts next after the latest in news and sport from Araha. 
1476am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Talkback Time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Twenty-seven away from ten here on mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, we'll uh, uh, get to your calls shortly. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. A couple of texts that have come through though. Hey Smithy, hope you're well, mate. I bet the text machine is on fire today, and that's good. People still care; they really care. But the slide carries on and looks set to continue for quite a while. The ABs aren't going good. That's on the man in charge, Foster, and the folks who keep backing him, Robinson. A quick note from watching at the ground on Saturday, you could really tell how together as a team at end of the game Argentina were. It's a cliche, but you could see they wanted it more. Maybe the All Blacks wanted it too much, but it doesn't look like it. I also noticed Dane Coles became quite agitated from calls from the crowd. I didn't hear what set him off specifically, but most comments were pretty mild. It can't be fun to hear the come on guys uh, if you're in Colsey's position. Uh, thanks very much for your text. Also, if the New Zealand Rugby Union cared about rugby in New Zealand, they'd tell Foster to resign. My grandsons weren't even interested. They laughed when I asked them if they wanted to watch it with me. That is from Mark. Keep your texts coming through. Uh, let's go to Jeff from Cromwell. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, Ricardo. How you going, buddy? Yeah, good. Thank you, yeah, mate. Well, as good as you can be after a weekend like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, Lester Black turned one, you know, and uh, the sevens are doing all right, so that's something. Um, yeah, I can't just get my head around here. Argentina, their number one sport soccer, and here's our number one sport in Kiwiland is rugby, and we're getting tipped over by the Argies like that. But shit, they show some passion and out-muscle this. I mean, uh, you know, from a referee's point of view, I know the Russian defence, They've got to sort of sort that out, really. And the fact the referee's going to sort it out as well, because if you looked at the game, I looked at it twice, most of the time that Russian defence was 50% of the time plus, was a, they're offside, you know. But you've got, to, you've got to play to the referee, unfortunately, and it's, you know, just um, it's pretty frustrating there, really. Well, um, Jeff, you're a, you're a ref. I, I did see a few people online, and, and I, I always cringe when people blame the referee after an All Blacks loss, but I, didn't, I thought he refereed both teams... Much the same way. So, so long as you have consistency, I'd, I, 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 I don't wasn't too bothered. What did you make of the performance? Yeah, well, that was his, like his big test match for him. Like he's just a young guy coming through the ranks, and he got to blood these guys in. And I don't know if he's on the World Cup panel or not, but um, but I thought he was consistent. And the, and the, I can't believe you know the All Blacks. Are in, you know they've been playing rugby. They're in they're playing for the All Blacks. They don't know the laws of the game, and it was quite blatant what they were doing. Uh, and all the decisions are correct, you know. You know, coming from the side, taking guys out, killing the ball, and you know, it's just dumb stuff. You know, just at that level, like I expected at premier level or, or first fifteen level at times, but not not that top level. These guys should know. And I mean, you're quite right about the Super Rugby. To me, it's doing it's a it's it's played differently. It's refereed differently. It's purely for entertainment. And the guys haven't been able to step up from Super Rugby to Test Match Rugby. Um, We've been training the All Blacks to be like backs across 15, you know, play like backs and run like backs. And that's the forwards I'm talking about. And 
and they're not doing the key jobs. Not you know the breakdown, getting out, done on the breakdown. We're getting like the set pieces are pretty good, weren't they? The scrums are good. Line has got shaky in the end. It probably cost us a wee bit, but but we've got to do your key roles. And um, yeah, I mean even uh, Moanga felt a bit of pressure missing those sort of fairly early on kicks, which were critical really in a test match. Was so tight, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, no, no, nice. I, 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 just, I mean, I also heard that Razor was offered the position before that uh, win in South Africa, and but the players, I've heard from a good source that the players backed Foster, so you know, there's a bit of shit going down in there, so they need to sort out from the top and and uh, get it right, and um, we're certainly going to go in underdogs uh, going into that World Cup, and in fact, there's there's four couples, and I'm part of that. We're thinking about going to the World Cup to France, but we're seriously thinking about pulling out. That's that'd be sad if we do decide to do that. Just go go to Bordeaux you know, and go on a wine tour, Jeff. You'd probably be better off. You'd probably have more <laughs> yeah, fun, mate. To be fair, yeah, that's right, Ricardo. Yeah, yeah. sad. But it needs to be sorted out from the top. Yeah. And uh, I like I like what Lowy said here, but a mongrel, even though he sometimes went over the top. But we're going to bring some mongrel back into that Ford pack and. And uh, yeah, good stuff, Jeff. Know, Thanks very much for your call, mate. I think I think you've made some great points there. I really appreciate you coming on, giving us a perspective from a refereeing point of view as well. Uh, Nigel from Christchurch is with us. G'day, Nigel. G'day, mate. Um, look, yeah, I enjoyed listening to Lowy and all his comments. Good, good to hear a, you know an ex-all black being honest about the situation. You know, it's always been that thing in the past where all blacks don't criticise other all blacks. But obviously there's a lot of problems with the All Blacks right now, but one of the ones I reckon is the building blocks aren't there anymore. I mean, some of these guys are running out playing for the All Blacks and, um, you know, they've hardly played a game of club rugby, even NPC. Like, shouldn't it be from the bottom up? Like, are you there? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the United, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I thought you were pausing for effect. I was, I was, I was going to let you run. Oh, yeah, well... I mean, you know, you look back in the, when when rugby was sort of amateur around 87, you know, uh, you look at guys like Buck Shelford, they probably had 100 club games and... Um, you know, am I getting my point across? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing is now that there is so much emphasis put on the schoolboy game, and obviously they've done the deal with, with um, Sky and they, they show a lot of the first 15 games, that players are transitioning from that and they're bypassing club rugby altogether and they're going straight into super rugby feeder teams, you know, under 20s and things like that. Yeah. And so they're not Yeah, there. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, the I problem you, what, you I, get... I would build- Sorry, I was going to say the problem The problem you get, which Lowy brought up as well, is then you get guys who are 18, 19, 20 who are dominant in the, in the age groups because of their size and they're not actually you know, going in and playing some 30-year-old bloke who's, um, who's tough as nails and been running around the club rugby scene for 12 years because that would sort a few ideas out and, and also you know, separate the guys who just uh, get where they are due to size and physicality rather than skills. Yeah, no, you will have summed that up better than I could. Look, um, the other thing I would get rid of is this bonus point rubbish in in, um, in our competitions where teams just off the gate, they think, right, we've got to score four four tries. And they just it's all about attack and then defence is left sort of wanting. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that, I think 
um, that's done for the TV. Uh, you know, they, they they want teams to not take the three. I mean, I know we used to c- criticise the Northern Hemispheres for sides for kicking penalties all day long and the South Africans for kicking penalties all day long. But, but if you go back to when Foxy was our number 10, that's what we did. That's how we won tests. And then they uh, and then they changed it and brought in the bonus points so they get more tries and more running rugby because it was better for the TV numbers. Uh, Cliff from Dunedin is with us. G'day, Cliff. How are you doing? Yeah, good, Ricardo. Yeah, no, it was good to, good to listen to Lowy. Um, I really want to talk about the management, the ser- you know, up in the board of the New Zealand rugby. Just don't think there's enough people there who've got any background in rugby. I looked at the board online and even the Governor General's on the board of New Zealand rugby. To me, it looks far too, far too management and people who have made something of themselves in New Zealand and other places, but there's no real depth about people who've got any rugby now or any maybe have been there. I don't mean we need everybody to have been an All Black or played First Division rugby on the board, but we need a bit of both. And to me, there's no passion in the game, and it starts from the top because they're just appointed people. They look like more like parliamentarians and rugby union directors on the board. And uh, you know, Lowy brought up a lot of stuff about. It was. It's good to hear a bit of Frank stuff. Mm. You know, like Fozzie. Fozzie isn't. Hasn't got a pedigree. He had no nothing. He never really did anything. He he was the coach of the Chiefs. Never did any good. Now, how does he get that job? How does he go? He just. He's just a follower. And and people aren't going to follow another follower, are they? No, and I think that's bang on, Cliff. I mean, there is you've seen it in world in sport, and you know, I mean, I follow the football quite closely, and you know, under Sir Alex Ferguson, when United first started winning things in the mid nineties, Brian Kidd was his number two, and he was a a former star player, and he wanted to be a number one, and he went away and tried to be a number one and failed. Some people are better number twos; they're better at putting the, uh, an arm around the shoulder and uh, and and being that guy, being the supportive player to the uh, the supportive member of the coaching staff to the players, rather than being the guy who has to make the tough calls and. You know, I think that's what we're seeing here with Foster. Yeah, well, you know, uh, when uh, David Moyes took over from United, he, he he dumped all of Fergie's boys. Now, Fergie's boys were tight with the group, you know, and, and like you say, they were an, a shoulder boys, someone to talk to. You can't just clean out the, everybody and take over a new role. And look, Moyes didn't do that bad, probably against some of them that took over after him. But at the end of the day, Fozzie... He just hasn't got it. And they've had the chance to get rid of him. And I don't know what Robinson, his, his idea is to keep letting the rope go and then pulling a wee tug on it occasionally and having a word. Well, that doesn't work. You, you've got to be the man, don't you? You've just got to be the man. Premier League says that. If you're not doing the business, you're, you're paid out and move on. Exactly, exactly, Cliff. Thanks very much for your call. Uh, and one last call uh, before we take a break, 16 away from 10, is Jared out of Christchurch. Jared, uh, uh, were you at the game on the weekend? Uh, no, I wasn't, Ricardo, but um, isn't it fun, though? I mean, we're going to have to face, a, well, we are facing adversity, and this is mm. good. It's, you know, we have it our own way so often. We need to really fight and scrap to, to get our way out of this, and I see it as a little bit exciting. We've got the short space of time before the World Cup, and, you know, obviously we're in a bit of a hole, so let's try and dig ourselves out of it. We've got the caliber, you know, the, the guys there that can do it. But what I will say, it wasn't an amazing Puma performance, and that can be a little bit worrying 
as well. All they did was they, they made their tackles, they kicked their goals, and that, that's a little bit alarming because I just don't think our team at the moment has the intellect and, and the, just the general rugby now. So if, you, if you kind of look at our players of the past, that you, we, we kind of take them for granted now, you know, the Zindam Brooks and the McCaws and the Ben Smiths and the Conrad Smiths and guys like that. You know, it's just, we're just missing that general smart uh, rugby player at the moment. I'm not sure how we're going to get that in a short period of time, but, you know, there's, there's selection issues there as well, mate. I don't think Will Jordan's... I think Sever Reese is a better right wing than Will Jordan, and that's just a case of us trying to cram everyone into the back line. And Will Jordan's stuck on the channel there, not getting the ball. He's unemployed out there when he's arguably one of the best fullbacks in the world. He could unlock a lot of counter-attacking options for us. Nothing against Geordie. I like him too. But we need that spark from the back. And, and it's just, uh, you know, Kane's not an all-black calibre player anymore, mate. Let's be fair. But the most alarming thing for me was a guy that's really been, I've been impressed by, uh, Tukiaho. He's come on in leaps and bounds ever since he made the All Blacks. He's a fantastic player. And to take our best player off after 44 minutes of play to put Cody Taylor on, unbelievable. I mean, I just that was just baffling to me. I mean, I couldn't believe it. But the funny thing is, Ricardo, we can still win the championship and, and retain the Bledisloe. And then what? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be bizarre if we do. But it can happen, you know. Springboks will probably bounce back this weekend. And I think the All Blacks will win this weekend as well. And then we've got two Bledisloe Cups uh, matches after that, and we can still win it. But, like, it's, it's you know, it's just they just look like a, a puzzled bunch out there at the moment. So, And why would Razor want the job, Ricardo? He's got to uh, give him a year before the World Cup. We're all assuming that he wanted it. Is that, is that legit? I haven't heard anything around that he was definitely going to be wanting to take the job after the first South African test over there. Well, the, the story that I heard was that he was told to gather your team that you've got the gig. Um, and then obviously they pulled it out from under him. Whether or not he said yes, I don't know. But that's the that's the word uh, that I've had, Jared. But uh, hey, listen, mate. Thanks very much for your call. Uh, keep your texts coming through. Double eight, double three. The Temper Bedpost text machine. We're thirteen away from ten o'clock. Picking Rashid Khan second, only for Adelaide to use their retention pick to keep Khan with the strikers. Round two, which is platinum and gold, the Brisbane Heat selected Colin Munro 11th overall with the third pick of the round. Some pundits were surprised that the Scorchers didn't use their retention to keep Munro. They saved that to retain Laurie Evans with the very next selection after the Sydney Sixers tried to claim him. Colin de Gronholm was selected 14th overall in round two by the Adelaide Strikers. The money? Well, the platinum players will be decided by the BBL based off the nominations and will be paid an estimated 340,000 Australian dollars. The gold players will earn approximately 260,000 Australian dollars, silver 175,000 and the bronzies uh, 100,000 Australian dollars for their bash in the big bash league coming up uh, later on in the year. So that is your Azine cricket update. Plenty of texts coming through on the rugby as well. I don't think they were mentally prepared. We can kick, pass, run and throw, well except Cody Taylor, but they just aren't engaging their brains. I was saying to everyone before the game that Argentina would beat us. It was just sad to see. Thanks very much for your text. Uh, we've got plenty more texts coming through. Keep your texts coming through. The Temper Bedpost text machine is double Double eight, double three. Keen to hear your thoughts after we hit uh, ten o'clock. We're going to be talking some US Open tennis. Then we're going to have the panel. Jamie Wall uh, and Sam Ackerman are going to be on with us, and no doubt we'll take more of your calls to talk All Blacks as well. It is six away from ten.
Coming up 10 o'clock here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for him. Just an update for you on some live sport. The Tour Championship has been wrapped up by Rory McIlroy. He's won by a shot from Scotty Scheffler, finishing 21 under for the tournament. And the All Black Sevens team uh, currently in LA uh, in the world, on the World Sevens circuit there. They have just beaten Samoa 28-26 to meet Fiji in the Cup Final. So uh, that game still to come. We'll keep you up to date with that uh, as the show progresses. Is coming up in the next hour. We have the panel with Jamie Wall and Sam Ackerman. We also talk US Open with SEN's own Brett Phillips. All that and more to come. Plus, we'll take more of your calls, more of your texts as well on what is firing you up on this Monday after an All Blacks defeat. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just gone 10 o'clock here on Mornings with Ian Smith. No smoothie today, Ricardo Ball in with you through till midday. We'll continue to take your calls and texts throughout the day as well. Of course, uh, the All Blacks lost to Argentina is uh, the front of most people's minds. Jamie Wall, Sam Ackerman will address that and other things with the panel. But before we get into that, we're going to talk tennis because the last major of the season gets under the way uh, tonight. Well, all the We've had all the qualifying, but the first round proper gets underway tonight. And uh, SEN tennis commentator Brett Phillips joins us. G'day, Brett. How are you doing? Ricardo, good morning. Uh, going well, thank you. That's a story, mate. And, uh, you know, so many storylines ahead of this US Open. But I, I think the one that we need to address first is uh, the Serena Swan song. I mean, this is going to be the last time we see her as a professional tennis player, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. She's not great at saying uh, goodbye, Serena. Um, and look, this is going to be it. There's no doubt about that. And uh, you know, she is, uh, with all due respect to her, you know, magnificent career, Ricardo. She's on her last legs, and as you would be, uh, about to turn 41 and still trying to play uh, professional tennis uh, at the highest level. Uh, the game, you know, continues to emerge and grow, and these young players uh, coming through. Uh, uh, pretty fearless in the way they play, not necessarily playing the reputation on the other side of the net. And and Serena, well, you know, had, wants to start a family. Uh, well, sorry, wants to continue her family. Uh, so that makes it even harder to uh, try and have a second child and play professional tennis at the age that she's at. And, uh, you know, it was going to come to an end at some stage. Uh, what, what's interesting is that um, her and Venus have got a wild card into the doubles. We haven't heard anything from Venus, who's a year older, mm. as, as to whether she's going to bow out. And it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Venus just sailed off into the sunset as well without any sort of official announcement. But, yeah, I think it'll be an absolute full house on Arthur Ashe Stadium. They did sell out the first two nights, uh, d- depending on the draw, where she was going to be placed. So she'll play on the opening night, prime time, 7 o'clock in New York, and... 23,000 will uh, will be there. And whether she can uh, win a couple of rounds, I mean, her form coming in hasn't been great in the in the build-ups in the last uh, few weeks. So uh, she's got a player called Danka Kovinic of Montenegro, who I, I did see once uh, get beaten in 44 minutes uh, with two bagel sets by our very own great Ash Barty on Rod Laver <laughs> Arena. But I think she's come a fair way uh, since then in the last uh, couple of years. But, you know, she's... Uh, got to deal with the occasion with everyone in Serena's corner. But, yeah, her legacy, her imprint on the sport, I mean, it extends, you know, way beyond just the tennis court. And, uh, yeah, been been an incredible part of our lives since, what, the late 90s. Yeah, it'd be uh, sad to see her go, a a true go. And I think, you know, Brett, 
people tend to, and I, I think this is just a bit of a hangover from, you know, excuse me, I don't know your age, but I was going to say from our generation. Uh, but we seem yep. to preface things with, you know, she's a goat of women's tennis. I think she's just a goat of tennis, isn't she? Full stop. Well, when you talk the absolute, yeah, legends of the sport, and sometimes we can, you know, inflate the word legend in, in sport, uh, she's absolutely uh, right up there. And, and, and tennis has always been when we sort of look back in past generations, we always talk about the amateur era and we talk about the open era. So, yeah, in the open era, I mean, she's won the most Grand Slam titles on the women's side um, and on the uh, on the men's side, uh, full stop. Although, you know, who knows whether Djokovic and uh, Nadal will pass uh, 23 as the wave of men are certainly coming through, making that a little bit harder now. Um, and the age they're getting to. But, yeah, I mean, certainly there's always been the comparison to to Margaret Court's record, which was predominantly in the amateur era, 24. She hasn't, I mean, she's had ample chance to equal, at least in the last uh, four to five years, hasn't been able to do that. Uh, but if you just put that aside, I mean, some people, you know, it, it's all subjective, isn't it? I mean, some people say Steffi Graf's the greatest player they've ever seen, and Steffi won 22 Grand Slams. So... It's you know, like the debate with the men. Uh, everyone's going to have a, a different opinion. But, yeah, she's been just a huge figure. I mean, just the Williams sisters uh, and, and, and the way they burst onto the scene, they just changed women's tennis. Uh, and anyone who's not seen the movie um, depicting their life, uh, I recommend you go and see it because it is a pretty accurate account of, you know, growing up in tough times in L.A. and a career that uh, just prospered and what they've done off court as well. I mean, they've set up these sort of, yeah, booming uh, empires. <laughs> so, yeah, their, their lives beyond uh, tennis are, uh, are full of riches. Yeah, they are indeed. It's it's like uh, a good friend of mine who's a, a tennis aficionado, Hugh Bainan, said, you know, he's a big Roger Federer mm. fan, and he said uh, Novak Djokovic might be the winningest tennis player of all time, but, no, uh, but Roger's the greatest. Yeah. Well, I, I've... Been asked it a lot, and uh, I always maintain in my mind Roger Federer is the best I've seen, and it, it depends how you view it. Yeah, if you're looking at the aesthetics of tennis and the way he plays the sport, uh, he to me has been the best player that uh, I've seen in, in the era where I've watched tennis. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, as we've seen, uh, one era replaces another, replaces another, and the next generation is already emerging. Uh, and you know, whether they're going to achieve the records of a Serena or Roger Novak or Rafa. Uh, that could be tough in the next uh, 10 to 20 years, but uh, I don't think the sport's going to go downhill. There'll be a golf uh, when they all go. Uh, but, you know, we might have thought that years ago when McEnroe and Connors and Everett and Navratilova were all part of the game, that who's going to replace them? So, yeah, there'll be there'll be the next crop who will emerge and... Um, yeah, there'll be plenty of great stories. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the one of the stories uh, this tournament is going to be about who's going to finish uh, the US Open is the number one man in the world because Djokovic is not there. It's his second Grand Slam this year. He'll miss due to not being vaccinated against COVID. Uh, Rafa Nadal is there, of course, but I have heard, and maybe you can give us an update on this. I don't know if you if there is one, but uh, that Mrs. Nadal was back in Spain expecting a child. I think she's at 31, 32 mm. weeks, and, and there was complications, so that might have been something that was distracting him and no, no guarantee that he was going to start was the last I heard. Yeah, I was just having a little uh, listen to his press conference. All the players obviously do media day there, and I was having a good listen to that last night. Obviously, a lot of focus on um, his injury from Wimbledon, and he hasn't really played. He played one match in Cincinnati last week and went out first round to Borna Chorich, and he hasn't been practising at absolute full tilt either, particularly with the serve. 
Um, so it's going to be an interesting watch. And he's got a young Aussie in the first round, Rinky Hijikata, who we're a massive fan of here in Australia, who's uh, cracked the top 200 in the last uh, few weeks. So big occasion, second night on Arthur Ashe Stadium. But, I mean, Rafa's always got this cap- this um, this capability of stepping up when it counts. I mean, he's, he's, you know, performances at the Grand Slams this year, he's undefeated in Grand Slam tennis. Uh, so that can bode him well. But, yeah, look, I, I have heard that story across uh, the weekend, and he's such a professional rapper with his team that they'll uh, they'll get to work and, and deal with what they need to deal with. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that first round, just how he moves. And, you know, hopefully from our point of view, he, uh, Rinky, can just take it up to him and uh, sort of play like he's got nothing to lose and really try and stretch Rafa. Which would be great, uh, and that's what we want to see. I, I tell you, another big name, you, we, we've kind of mentioned him, but haven't uh, haven't really addressed it. While we talk about Serena saying goodbye and how long Rafa's got and where the Novak's going to go past uh, Serena's numbers, we haven't mentioned Roger Federer, who's obviously had some surgery. With, he missed the French Open. I think it'll, there was some thought that he might make Wimbledon, but that didn't happen. Uh, no mm. word on where he is at the moment, or, or, or have we seen the last of Roger and he's just fading away into the sunset? No, I can, I can absolutely tell you he will. Uh, he'll be back for the Labor Cup, so that's uh, that's the comeback, uh, which is going to be what about two weeks after the U.S. Open at the the magnificent O2 um, in London. So the Labor Cup, which is going to be into its what fourth year, I think. So it'll have uh, Murray, Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal all playing uh, in in the same team, which is Team Europe. Uh, which is going to be absolutely uh, brilliant. So that is the first time we're going to see Roger back. Now, that's a little introduction in. If he gets through that, he is going to enter his home tournament in Basel in Switzerland, which is the ATP 500, which is, what, about a month later in October, uh, which he's won about, I think, <laughs> nine, ten times and, and dominated. So they're the two he's earmarked. Beyond that, no confirmation of any sort of schedule and what it might look like for Roger. So he needs to see if he can, you know, get through that uh, and then make some decisions as to what, you know, the last little phase of his career looks like. I mean, we'd love to see him in Australia uh, one last time, although I don't know whether he wants to put himself through the hard courts of a a January hot summer in Australia. He might just uh, target certain events next year. Where he's going to bow out is the million-dollar question. Everyone would love to know. I don't think there's going to be sort of some grand farewell tour, um, but uh, the the end is certainly coming near, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, unfortunately, I think that Basel Open is going to have to be renamed the Federer Invitational, isn't it, when he does call it quits? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he pretty much owned it. Uh, well, your thoughts then on the US Open. H- who do you think uh, is going to be there come come the, the final? I know it's two weeks. I know you've talked about Ooh. Rafa struggling. I think serving, mm. he said, has, has been an issue. So, I mean, Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, yep. Rude, uh, Medvedev, who are you thinking? There's a good crop there, Ricardo, no doubt. Uh, look, you know, Rafa's always going to be in contention uh, because of what he's done in the game. You know, Tsitsipas on a hard court, not totally convinced. Uh, lost that final to Chorich a week or two ago. Uh, you know, Medvedev returns to a place where he's got great memories of winning and having also made a final. And his his uh, performances on hard courts have really uh, you know, elevated him up to that number one status. So you love Medvedev on a hard court, even though he's had not his absolute best year, even though he is where he is, and he's missed that chunk of not playing Wimbledon, and he's tried to come back. Um, uh, you know, the last few weeks, won a title and lost Carbos. So 
Yeah, look, he he probably deserves favouritism, but anything could happen amongst that crop. I mean, Elkares and yeah, Kasparud, uh, Holgerun, who we saw um, you know, play a great French Open. I mean, they're all they're all got their chances, but suddenly the men's has become a little bit more hard to predict because. Mm. The field is a little wider open. I mean, our very own Nick Kyrgios here, we hold our breath every time. I mean, I'm looking at Nick's draw, and he has got fellow Aussie Thanasi Kokonakis, which is sort of great in a way, which puts Australian tennis on the map. But uh, you would love to see both of them go through to the second round. But if Nick wins that, his draw is actually quite good. And he he could do anything, as we know. But we're always um, concerned, you know, above the shoulders with Nick. It could explode at any time. So I think Medvedev... Uh, you know, curious. That could be a you know potential. Um, I think they actually would meet in a in a quarter final. They're on the same side of the draw. As far as the women's goes, well, we say it every time, Ricardo. Just throw a blanket over about twenty <laughs> women who could who could win a Grand Slam. It is that open. I mean, Igish Fiontek, the world number one, who was so dominant to the French Open, what won thirty seven matches straight. Uh, but since then, she's been patchy. So she's come back to the pack. Uh, no guarantee. You know, is Naomi Osaka going to step up? I mean, surely Emma Raducanu can't have the fairy tale two years in a row. That would be extraordinary. Um, there'll be someone that emerges that I, as I just scan through the draw here, that you cannot see from uh, a long way out. And that's, I suppose, the great part about women's tennis is that it is highly unpredictable. I'll guarantee you, Serena won't have the fairy tale ending. That would be one of the sporting stories of the century if she had 40 won the US Open. I don't think it's going to happen. So I'm I'm sort of talking a little bit vague here, but this is how tough it is to predict uh, both um, both the men's and the women's going into this US Open. And the guarantee at this stage of the year, this is the one Grand Slam that will throw up a Raducanu like last year because mm. the players are a little bit more fatigued at this stage of the year, August, September. They've been on tour for a long time and not everyone loves that New York environment. It doesn't suit every player where... The fans have no etiquette whatsoever. It's boisterous, it's loud, it's in your face, it's New York, and and some players just don't cope that well with it. Yeah, you'd almost think that plays into Kyrgios's hands. Uh, I was looking at the, as you were talking, the, I decided to look up the odds. Uh, these are the odds at the TAB over here, mate. Medvedev is a favourite at 310. Raf yep. at uh, $4.33 is second favourite. Alcaraz, third favourite at fives. Nick Kyrgios is the outright fourth favourite at $8.50. Mm. Well, I mean... Nick Kyrgios, I mean, we, we talk about it all the time, obviously, on our tennis program, the first serve on SCN, and we talk about it, I feel like I've been talking about it for a decade, but he plays top five tennis. But Nick's never been able to get to that level because, obviously, you know, he doesn't want to grind like all the other players, doesn't want to spend necessarily eight, nine, ten months out on the road. And when he plays, he has impact. I mean, no one serves probably better in the game than Nick Kyrgios uh, right now. So if you can keep the mental state, which has always been the issue, but that Wimbledon final, you know, going that far, hopefully gives him a bit of vindication that no, I can, I can dig in for seven matches, whatever surface, and and not wave the white flag and it gets too hard. Um, so yeah, if he plays lights out, he could do anything. Good stuff, Brett. I know you've got a busy two weeks ahead of you, mate. Enjoy it. It's going to be a fantastic tournament, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again before it's all over. Yeah, pleasure. No problems at all. Cheers. Uh, Brett Phillips there, SEN tennis commentator, and as you mentioned there, also host of the first serve. Yeah, the uh, TAB odds are out for the outright winner market. Medi of $3.10 on the men's side. Ruff and Nadal, 433 
$5 for Alcaraz, Kyrgios $8.50, Sitsipas uh, at $13s, Yannick Sinner at $14s, Taylor Fritz $17s, and Felix Alga Aliasame, who is uh, probably a bit of a smoky for me at 23s, or Borna Korich at 26s, uh, worth looking at. And on the women's side, I mean, as you heard Brett say there, you could just grab a dartboard and throw a dart. It's probably uh, as close as you're going to get. But the, uh, the women's singles... The outright winners, are, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch there that you could you could have a look at, and they're all very very close. Fiatek, as you mentioned, four thirty three is the favourite. Halep at sevens, Goff at twelves, Sabalenka at fourteens. Uh, there you go. That is your TAB odds update. Place a head to head bet on either Kai. No, don't do that on Kaikara France because that's out of date. But uh, you can bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Now Teroa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. here on Mornings with Ian Smith, uh, Ricardo in for Smithy today and joining us on the panel today, the author of The Hundred Years War, the history of the All Blacks versus the Springboks and Poneki's favourite son as well, Jamie Wall. How are you, sir? Good, thank you, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. And also the man they call Sackerman, Sam Ackerman, Rugby League Tragic. How are you, Sammy? Jamie got a way better intro than me. That sounds like an absolute stitch-up. G'day, Ricardo. How you going, mate? We won't say... I can't say what people call you on air, unfortunately. (laughs) Mate, I've had many nicknames over the years. I think uh, my favourite, looking back on it at the time, it wasn't a favourite, but uh, obviously the surname of Ball. uh, I played football with the old man's team for one season. His nickname was Testy, so I was Testy too. Yeah, <laughs> makes it makes about sense. Yeah, it does. Sense. It does. And, and I've seen I've, I've seen you play football. Uh, Testy is a fair way to describe your um, your playing style as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wear that, Sam. I'll wear that. <laughs> Jamie, uh, we should start with you, though, because uh, strangely, uh, the All Blacks are top of the agenda uh, today. Um, one swallow doesn't make a summer, they say. I kind of had a bit of that feeling at Alice Park because the Springboks did play a weakened team against us in that second test. Did you see this coming? Yeah, well, one win doesn't make a winter uh, mm. either, does yeah, it? I like that. Um, and yeah, to be, to be perfectly honest with you, mate, um, yes, I could see this coming. Um, I saw enough out of the All Blacks' performance at Ellis Park to know that it wasn't perfect. Um, and then I saw enough out of the Springboks on Saturday afternoon against the Wallabies to show that maybe beating them isn't something to be as proud of as we first thought. Now, I really can't, don't know where to start with the All Blacks uh, because we've seen several losses um, dating back to... Uh, well, six losses dating back to November of last year, where uh, they just simply looked like they'd been beaten within the first sort of 10 minutes or so. This one was slightly different in that uh, it was sort of a more of a kind of uh, punch and counterpunch kind of game. Um, but really, after an hour, you were left with that same feeling that we've had over the last year, that the All Blacks were going to lose. And, and it's a strange feeling because we've never felt this way about the All Blacks uh, ever again. They, they showed one bit of brilliance uh, when Caleb Clark scored that very good try. Um, but in days gone by, that would then be followed up with another couple um, or at least a, a period of holding onto the ball and breaking through the line and, and just uh, uh, taking the game to the opposition and dictating the way that the game is going to get played. Now, 
the Argentinians did the exact same thing they did in 2020, which was to go out there, tackle hard, wait for their penalties, kick their penalties, and jag a try when they, when they, uh, uh, when when the opportunity presented itself, which is exactly what they did, and that's why the scoreline was almost exactly the same. And I think the most unforgivable thing about this loss is that it, it was preceded by by that game in 2020, where they did the exact same thing, and nothing was learned. Nothing was learned at all, and you have this this team, uh, and you have a coach coming after coming out afterwards and saying we're rebuilding. Rebuilding from what? You know, it's the same blooming team that lost to Argentina two years ago, and to do it again is completely unacceptable. I cannot disagree with you. In fact, Sam Hewitt, who produces Staff's show, uh, put a list together of players that were there in 2020 and 2021 who are all uh, new to the, or, you know, not new, but have been around the uh, the scene for a little while. Cody Taylor, Scott Barrett, Sam Whitelock, Akira Yuani, Sam Kane, Artie Savier, Bowden Barrett, Rico Yuani, Aaron Smith, Geordie Barrett, Tyrell Lomax, Will Jordan, Caleb Clark, Shannon Frizzell, Richie Mwanga were all there in 2020. So the rebuild thing is a red herring. I think it's a smoky, just a, a, it's like a, a trying to be used as a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, Sam, I know that if I ask you um, what's your take on New Zealand rugby, you'll just say watch New Zealand Rugby League probably. Um, but, I mean, do you have any takeaways from the current situation at the top of the game in New Zealand? Yeah, look, there's, there's certainly uh, an issue that um, needs to be addressed is that this team is, uh, is, is we've talked about before on the show, Jamie and I have together before as well, they're just not as good as the All Blacks should be and used to be. But beyond that, beyond that, this team that I've been you know, watched in the weekend and watched previously, including the Ellis Park win, just don't have the same level of intelligence. I feel that the level that, you know, rugby intelligence, I should say, is that I don't feel that the spring, uh, sorry, the Pumas on this occasion were forced to work for those penalties very very often. I felt that the knowing that the plan was to have those shots at goal go from wherever and whenever they could, you would think that, that you'd go, right, okay, this is a close contest. We need to be really smart, not give away penalties. I know you can, you know, some things can be pointed at the referee, but I was watching things and going, no, you're not going to try. Oh, yes, they are. They're going to try that. It's another penalty. And you watch that scoreboard keep ticking up and just keep building and building and keeping that game a contest when they had opportunities. This team held on to the ball, no problem. Retention wasn't the, uh, the problem. It was a lack of foresight, better uh, bust it and find a way through what was a wonderful defence. I know it's been said through um, newspapers and on radios uh, around the country already, but I mean, David, what David Kidwell helped to achieve with that defensive unit shouldn't be under done as well as you know David Kidwell's gone through the ringer in this country and received a lot of grief so I'm glad he got a little bit of moment uh, there as well but it's not an all black team that's going to um, set the world on fire and uh, listen to me when I heard the rebuilding I scoffed as well but I, I personally think you, it is a bit of a smoke screen I feel that it's not well explained I believe his comeback will be I'm talking about rebuilding this team and that's not just the 15 players on the field that's the coaching staff we've got new coaches in everyone's adjusting and building that, I, I reckon that's going to be the next step in that um, response and that's true it is a group, new group of coaches but it's a new group of coaches that have been told to find success and they haven't done so yeah, no, I tell you what, there's a, there could be a job in the offing at the, as the All Blacks media manager after that spin, Sam. Well done. That's good. No, no, I mean, look, I'm seeing, I don't worry, I've already seen them in the invoice, but yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> uh, just, just, on the, just on the coaching just on the coaching side of things and rebuilding, I sent out a tweet on the weekend that got a bit of a 
decent response. And it's you look at the teams that have owned the All Blacks over the last year. You look at Ireland, Andy Farrell, France, Sean Edwards, and now Argentina, David Kidwell, and I guess to a lesser extent you can say England and Anthony Seabold. When are the when's NZ Rugby going to bite the bullet and and bring in a rugby league uh, defensive coach? Because clearly that's what's working in world rugby right now, and they're not following the trends on that. Um, I don't know who's in the market right now, who they can lure from the NRL, but you know, there's your blueprint. Yeah, it's a great call, Sammy. You know more than uh, more than most who's floating around at the moment, or who might might be tempted. Who do you reckon New Zealand rugby should go for if they wanted a rugby league defensive coach? Well, to be very clear, first of all, that um, there was, you know, David Kiddle had a job um, as an assistant coach, but he got a, this one was too tempting to, um, you know, to, to come and be part of a World Cup campaign, and he was very excited. I know another guy who may get um, some screams of uh, the cry from places uh, is uh, Stephen Kearney, uh, who was an assistant coach at Melbourne, uh, and I, I don't know if he could be uh, tempted across, but I know he's always held um, the uh, the All Black jersey and uh, New Zealand rugby is in the sport itself and uh, in high regard too. So uh, I certainly would, if you're going to look for somebody um, with New Zealand credibility, I, I think he would be uh, right up there. Uh, along the way too, he's a great analyst of the game, uh, and uh, for his playing style and and what he achieved with the Kiwis as well, um, I I would definitely think he would be a, a natural fit. But Jamie, the, the short answer is, um, you know, New Zealand rugby and rugby in general is often sit back and watch rugby league and then taking their rules and plays two or three seasons later. So I'm thinking 2024, 25 maybe, or when it come in. <laughs> there you go. On the, and the players, don't forget. Yeah, on New Zealand rugby's time. There you go. It is uh, 28 away from 11 here on SENZ. When we come back, uh, the panel will discuss the Black Ferns, the Warriors, and the US Open right now, though. It is time for news and sport with Aroha. Opinions, the panel. 26 away from 11, Jamie Wall, Sam Ackerman on the panel with us. The Black Ferns on the weekend uh, got another win against the Wallaroos. Certainly different from 52-5 though, Jamie. Um, I know there were eight changes made to the starting 15 by Wayne Smith. Any cause for concern here? I mean, can we measure ourselves against the Wallaroos when it comes to World Cup probability for the Black Ferns? Well, I'm, I'm sort of in two minds over this. Like, Obviously, most people went in expecting that they'd have a similar result that they did in, in Christchurch and that the main uh, feedback after that game was, uh, that big one, was that they, you know, they're going to get better. Um, to, so to see them get really tested in that way was a, yeah, a bit of a surprise. I think yeah, some credit has to go to the Wallaroos. I mean, I've been watching this uh, contest for the last, uh, you know, most of the last decade, and that's easily the best game um, they've ever played against against the Black Ferns. They they certainly didn't seem overawed and um, seemed to be really uh, buoyed by playing on their own home turf. So we've got to remember that. Uh, and I guess from a positive side of things is that, yeah, the Black Ferns didn't probably play as well as they, they wanted to. They got kind of um, tested early, but they still won. Um, they still got the result, and I think perhaps the environment that they had last year, they may, they might not have done that. So, you know, well done in that sense. But at the same time, yeah, there were a few things uh, of concern. Um, they had they got hit by a couple of injuries early. Um, they lost Alana Bremner and Alana Bremner and Chelsea Semple there, and Kendra Coxie wasn't wasn't actually playing. 
Um, so I think those disruptions probably contributed quite a bit to the scoreline. Um, in saying that, though, you look at the World Cup and how really it's going to only come down to, what, two games that the, the Black Ferns actually have to win. Um, I think I've seen enough out of them so far that with a bit of luck uh, and with a bit of home support, um, they could actually pull this off. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fully prepared to eat my words on, on this. Uh, but I've, there's enough there that I kind of I can kind of believe in it if the if the right things fall into place for this team um, and it's going to require yeah like I said a bit of luck and a hell of a lot of effort um, and the main reason I say that is because at least they're moving in the right direction in terms of discipline they're giving away less penalties and um, in key parts of the field so you know whatever Wayne Smith is doing seems to be working yeah it was a, a, i think you could probably say i don't think it was a step backwards for them on the weekend but they they it wasn't a step forwards either but again they did win they did do they did do that they won indeed sam ackerman uh, i know uh, you will have followed this as well and you'll also be following gail broughton who's uh, obviously gone to the Parramatta reels and is playing in the nrlw this season that is a competition that is on the up and up they're adding another two teams next season do you see there potentially being a a player drain on the on the black friends do you think more will follow gail broughton no, the short answer is I don't expect to see a great deal. Um, I think what New Zealand rugby has to offer and the uh, the growing profile of the Black Ferns here and, of course, um, the in-between World Cup cycles, you see a few more trying their hands at sevens, which means you're going on special circuits, having a chance at Olympic gold medals, world champs, that type of thing. I think there's enough um, to, to keep them at bay. And it depends on how fast and how big the um, NRLW grows. It's a great competition, um, but it is still um, something that literally comes into life for a, a matter of a few weeks um, or as far as the season goes it's you know I'd love to see it grow further but you know I really appreciate that the NRL NRL is not making the NRLW uh, run before it walks they're making sure that what the product is that goes out is really enjoyable to watch it's played at at a time where there is a peak interest in league as well so um, I think they're doing well there will be defections along the way because it's professional sport it happens but I don't think they should be um, using a rip should be lying at wake um, concerned about it all and listen I, I said last week in an interview that I, I reckon that it's what the um, Black Ferns needed most out of this Waller Roos test is almost throw if, if it was getting too easy almost throw spanners in the works for themselves make it difficult because having another romp achieved nothing so I think what Adelaide provided is something that Wayne Smith and the coaching staff and the players can dig deep to when they get back into this tournament because romps over teams do, does nothing. You, it, it, you can practice your combinations, you can get a um, you know get, get a flow on, and get confidence up, but you need to be tested because if you get to the games where you're going to be tested and you haven't had to dig into those situations, uh, certainly under this regime, I don't think it's going to help. So, a good position to be in. Yeah, good position indeed. Actually, we've had a, a message come through, boys, and I'll ask you this. I didn't have it on my initial uh, uh, rundown, but I will ask you because I think there's a fair point that Simon. Griffin's made, he said, do they need a defensive coach, talking about the All Blacks, from the NRL, or an attack coach? Neither Fozzie nor Schmidt have had any success attacking an NRL defensive line. What a shame Paul Green has gone. He'd have been perfect. Uh, your take on that, Sam? Oh, listen, I, 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 they're quite different games, and I, while I, you know, I'm obviously going to stay here and preach in the pulpit saying that um, the I love uh, the style of attack that rugby league brings. Uh, I think that, that there's a lot more uh, physicality and movement to it. I think it's also a, a faster level. Um, but what we see with um, New Zealand rugby, I don't think they need that. I just think they need 
it, it, the cohesion's missing. I don't think there's a problem with with what they have. They don't have they they're not playing a a, course, a horses for courses approach and utilising what they they do have. So I don't think they're having a different. Um, uh, a coach from a different uh, genre of the sport is going to be necessarily what what makes it happen. They just need somebody. And in fairness to Joe Smith, he's only been there a couple of weeks, right? So uh, let's not get ahead of it on that. But uh, the All Blacks just aren't playing smart. And if you don't know how to use the ball properly and be expensive, but it doesn't matter if if you've got you know Wayne Bennett, Jack Gibson coming in to coach it. What won't matter a difference if you can't use the ball smartly when you're on the field. Jamie, your thoughts on that, mate? I mean, is the attack coach? more uh, important than the defence coach, given that defensively we haven't actually conceded too many tries? I think they're as important as each other. I think you can find examples in the All Blacks' run of losses where the defence is costing the game and the attack's costing the game, or the lack of ability to score points. So I I, I always go back to what I'd, I'd said a while back, is that you know it's not like all these guys became bad players overnight. You know, they just need to be given the right cohesion and direction. And Sam just mentioned about selections, like what are our best combinations out there. I still think they're just doing a lot of guesswork, or at least it seems that way. Uh, you know, you look at the Springboks and that, like, okay, maybe not the best example given their results as well. But they have they have very much a predetermined way of playing, and their, their selections are based around that. I don't think the All Blacks do that. Um, so I think it's it's also a selection issue as well. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean the 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 conversation has been around coaching this whole time. So, and uh, it, obviously it extends out to the wider coaching group as well. But those other guys, yeah, like they've only been in there for a matter of weeks. So I'll, I'll be able to give them a little bit of leeway. Yeah, all right, mate. Uh, let's talk uh, the Warriors then, Sam. Uh, smashed by the Panthers after being smashed by the Cowboys, but kind of been covered up covered up to an extent because there's a few teams with their queue in the rack uh, already this season. So we've seen quite a few of these one-sided score lines. Uh, what's your hope for the last game of the season at home against the Titans? I barely heard that question, mate. Sorry, I was busy popping the champagne bottle down there. We're not going to get the wooden spoon. It's not an option after the, the Tigers uh, uh, collapse against the Dragons. So nothing else matters. No, look, and also thank you, All Blacks, um, from every Warriors uh, and league fan in the country for uh, making sure that uh, Warriors bashing is uh, kept to a minimum for a lot of this season. It's been uh, it's been uh, enjoyable to watch. Uh, the concept of the uh, the Warriors taking anything out of the last couple of games is is minute. Um, yes, I saw. Improvement, if you want to say it, and no, I didn't expect the Warriors to beat either of those teams away at all, and I wouldn't necessarily expect them to win at home against them either. But the the simple fact of the matter is, this team is uh, is down on confidence. They've got a uh, an interim coach who is a legend, but he is not a head coach, and he doesn't want to be a head coach. He is there doing the Warriors a favour, babysitting until this team gets picked up by Andrew Webster. So there, there was never any signs that this was supposed to be a golden run uh, and things were going to suddenly get better. I've said it before, there's some good cattle coming to this club uh, next year, so I expect that you know, to see the Warriors performing at a much better level uh, come next season. And uh, but Simply said, uh, you know, that, uh, what happened in the past fortnight should should have been seen ahead of time, should have been predicted. It's sometimes you just need to accept where the team is, and I think a lot of Warriors fans are accepting that right now and going, well, hopefully you know, there's moments. But the game against the Titans this weekend, it could very well be a completely packed-out stadium thanks to the very smart marketing move by Vodafone to snap up the remaining tickets and literally you know, give them away for free if you'd 
register and honour, whatever it is. So it's a, you know that's a smart move, um, and we shouldn't forget that it is a t- it's the two different seasons. The Warriors away and the Warriors at home are, are two complete different seasons because who. I, I don't recall a time when um, the difference was so severe as, as it is now. So looking forward to that uh, being a free-flowing and a lot of points scored in the uh, the Warriors versus Titans in the weekend. But I won't be uh, devastated that the season's over for the Warriors because it's important that um, they're able to put this one behind them and you know steal a shagism and flush the dunny. Yeah, indeed. Oh, Jamie, uh, if you had an opportunity, where would you be? FMG Stadium this weekend or Mount Smart? What's going to, where's going to be the most fireworks? <laughs> uh, well, I'm definitely going to be at FMG because um, that's my job. Uh, but um, but I, I have to. I have smart. We get it, mate. We get it. <laughs> I have to. I have to. I have to say. I mean, what? Where would the Warriors be without Vodafone, man? I mean, like that company clearly believes that there's no such thing as bad publicity, and the Warriors can thank their lucky stars for that. But no. But seriously, like. Whoever's managing their their sponsorship at the Warriors, like you, you can you can say what you want about them on and off the field, but they're definitely doing that job right because that's that's like a real blue chip sponsor that they've managed to hold on for like what is it like what twenty twenty five years now? That's that's incredible for um for any sports team in the whole world. Couldn't have them too, Jamie. The NRL said you can't yeah. have it because it clashes with Telstra, but the, uh, the line was drawn in the sand. That, that, they've just extended their sponsorship last week. That, I mean, that's yeah. that's miraculous. And uh, what they achieve as a partnership, you, you bang on. They are the uh, the blueprint in this country. Yeah, uh, they'd certainly yeah. be better owners, you would have to think. But anyway, that's probably a conversation for another time. Uh, Jamie, Sammy, thank you very much for coming on, gentlemen. Go well. Enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers, Greta. That's been the panel for you. Jez, quarter away from 11 here on SENZ. Coming up before 11 o'clock, we're going to hear from the TAB and also Mark Clayton with a Love Racing update. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And nine away from 11, Mark Clayton joins us for the Love Racing Update. G'day, Clayton. How are you? Good morning, Ricardo. Yeah, very good. Very good, thanks. It's a story, mate, and I understand understand that the good oil was on fire on the weekend. Yeah, we had a great day on Saturday with Louis Herman Watt and Robert Wellwood in the studio. And, well, there was a horse in the last race called Good Oil. I thought, gee, if, if this wins and we aren't on it, we're going to look like the biggest Muppets who've ever walked the planet. So... We had a nice little multi, RJ Slight, into, uh, into good oil for a $3,000 collect for our lucky Pundas and the Pundas Club. Mate, that is superb. Um, that is superb. What else have you got for us this week, mate? Well, last Saturday, gee, the action's really heating up, Ricardo, and we had some great fields at Tarapa. But we sort of countered that with a heavy track, and all eyes on the favourite, Imperatriz, and the Group 2, Waikato Stud, Foxbridge Plate. Would she cop the track, or would she just be too brilliant? She, she sat four and three wide throughout. She's come to the turn, got a bit of a bubble with Tavi Mack, who looked a big threat, and then she's just hit overdrive, Ricardo, and she's scampered away on a heavy track like you'll see once in a hundred years. She is an absolute freak, Imperatriz. So she's going to the Tarzino Trophy in two weeks, but she won't have it all her own way because there's another man in this race who I'm probably just uh, they'll be scratching their heads now, but La Creek. She, she's a very good mare, but she imperatives. What she did to them on Saturday was just mind-boggling. Good stuff, Clado. Thanks very much for your update, mate. Much appreciated. Go well. Enjoy your week. 
We will. Thanks, Ricardo. Cheers, mate. LoveRacing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, reviews and more. When we come back, we'll catch up with Paul Mawadi from the TAB. We're a couple of minutes away from 11 o'clock. Uh, Paul Mawadi joins us out of the TAB. And, Paulie, uh, the US Open gets underway for real. We're all through the qualifying. The first round proper starts uh, tonight, mate. Uh, you, you fizzed about this? I certainly am. Um, it's a fantastic uh, tournament and... Uh, the night, sh- uh, night session is really, really good for us time-wise, so we'll see plenty of live tennis on our screens over the next couple of weeks. Just having a look at some of the matchups here. Of course, we've got a bonus uh, back promotion on all men's and women's singles matches uh, at the US Open. Just place a pre-match, uh, pre-match head-to-head bet, uh, and if the player you select loses in the deciding set. So for the women, that's the third set. For the men, that's the fifth set. They lose in the third set. You'll get your money back up to $50 as a bonus bet. And uh, I've been having a little bit of a chat with the Shark, and there's one outsider here that he gives a wee bit of a chance to mm-hmm. tomorrow morning, and that's uh, Danka Kovinich, who's facing Serena Williams. Uh, Kovinich, $4. Serena Williams, $1.23. Look, um... Everyone would love to see a fairy tale finish here for Serena, uh, but she's only played four competitive matches this year, uh, losing three of them. One of them was to Harmony Tan, also lost to uh, Radicanu in Toronto. While Kovinich has made the third round of both the Australian Open and the French Open uh, this year, uh, the Shark and I, we think she's a bit of a chance mm. at $4. Yeah. So Kovinich, $4 outsider against Serena Williams. Serena's not the player she used to be. Um, it would be great to see her go deep into the tournament. But if she doesn't, you certainly want to be on the outsider when uh, Serena does get beaten. And I think Kovinich is a big, big chance. She's $4. Good stuff, Paulie. Thanks very much, mate. Go well. Cheers, Ricardo. Have a yeah. good one, mate. Yeah, you too, mate. Yeah, as Paulie mentioned there, I mean, Serena Williams coming up 41. I don't know about you, but I struggle to get off the couch, let alone into the second round of the US Open at 41. Just quietly after 11 o'clock, we're going to catch up with Andrew Voss and stumped with Smithy in the next hour as well. The mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Here's a break. Louis up the middle, and now Harris to Vita, and the Warriors plotting the upset at the first try. Reese Walsh on the end of it. It all started with a delicious pass from Torhu Harris. Again, through the hands on the last for Luai. Shape to kick. Oh, kick out, but no look up, and Taylor May in the corner. And Penrith finished with a bang. In the first round. Such a popular figure in Penrith. Isaiah Yo, 79 minutes on the clock, still going strong. Penrith about to collect the JJ Gilton and Shield. They win it, 46 points to 12. I don't know if we call those highlights, but that was what happened on the weekend between the Panthers and the Warriors. It's four past 11, and uh, as we do at this time of the week on uh, Smithy Mornings with Smithy, Andrew Voss joins us out of SEN Australia. G'day, Vossy, how you doing? Uh, yeah, good morning, everyone. No, no, too good, Penrith. Uh, don't take it to heart too much. I mean, what they did uh, to the Warriors, they've done to plenty of sides, not just this year, last year, the year before. It, you know, they, they've become a powerhouse. Uh, and I said last year when they won the Premiership, it was a reward for two years' work because they were very good 
um, in, in 2020 as well. Um, and they're in with a massive shot of going back-to-back this year, albeit there are a few teams coming to get them or trying to come and get them. Yeah, there's a few coming, all right, mate. But according to the TAB here, uh, the they are well outside it. I mean, this is the this is the market for our winner at the moment with the TAB. Panthers two dollars, Storm are six are the second favourites. Then the Sharks yeah, well. at sevens and the and the Roosters at eight fifty. So uh, there's, there's there's a big big gap there between the favourites and the second favourites. And that's that's a remarkable market too, given that Melbourne are now in a literally a top four shootout game come Thursday night, the first game of the final round. The winner gets fourth. The winner will play Penrith week one of the finals. The loser is in the bottom half of the eight. So, you know, I, I, I don't know whether I can remember a game. I'll probably be corrected by a listener, but I can't remember a match like that where it's just so pronounced that it is this or this. On, uh, yeah, and it is a massive difference. It's the top four. Suddenly you come fourth, you knock over Penrith, you're a week from the grand final, you know, one match away, or you lose, you know, having your end of season trip. <laughs> when every other team's playing week two or the finals beyond. So, yeah, huge game Thursday night. Massive game, uh, mate. And, and, you know, the two two teams that Penrith probably don't want to face, the two teams that have beaten them this season. Well, that's true. I mean, that's what's got Parramatta fans pretty excited. The fact that, um, you know, they, they, they have beaten Melbourne this year already, and they did that in Melbourne. They've beaten Penrith twice. You know, it's not to be dismissed. I know you're a bit of a Parramatta man. Could they... Could they We'll put it this way. Are they good enough to win four weeks in a row in the finals, which is what they would have to do if they finish bottom of the eight? Or if they finish top, knock over Penrith, then they're only a week away. That's the passage they have to aim for. So from a Parramatta perspective, I don't think Parramatta can win four games in a row. I think we've seen enough of the yields over recent years that winning four big games back-to-back-to-back-to-back wouldn't happen. Um, but they are possible of winning a couple, and that would be enough to get them in the grand final if they finish top four. Yeah, consistency of porridge this season, Vossi, is how I like to describe the Eels. <laughs> look, they're, well, they're in with a shot. And look, everyone says 36 years, but only one team can win the comp. I've seen Parramatta at their best enough times this year to know that they're a threat, but I haven't seen the consistency. But who's to say? Who's to say that they don't get on a roll right now? They've only got to do it for a month. Um, and uh, then you're going to bring out. Then the Parramatta fans are going to come out of the woodwork. They're going to come out from everywhere. You're not wrong there, mate. You're not wrong there. Hey, we should also talk about. Uh, you know, last week um, they, there were teams that, have, that were on the beach, if you like, or had already put the queue in the rack, uh, yeah. and and yeah. and we saw a, a, big, a few big hidings. But one of those that shouldn't have been on the beach was the Broncos. Uh, and I thought, well, oh, surely yeah. Kevin wow. Walters can get a tune out of them as a backup to that against the Eels because, you know, you, you expect a reaction from a team that has still got playoff footy uh, in their sights. But no, they once again got absolutely pantsed by the Eels. Uh, what's going wrong at the Broncos? Yeah, look, that's just so... Yeah, and, and Warriors fans listening now will remember the season they missed the eight on four and against. I mean, Brisbane could have, you know, could have afforded to lose the last two weeks and still be in eighth position going into the last round. But such has been the magnitude of the defeats. I mean, their for and against has taken a has taken a 100-point hit in the last fortnight that now they could even... Look, you know, hypothetically, I mean, they, they could win the last round. They could beat the Dragons this week by 20 and still not edge ahead of the, of the Raiders because of for and against. You know, the Raiders play the Tigers this week. So, you know, the, 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 the Broncos have imploded. 
you know, they are the makers of their own, you know, where, where they find themselves now after such a good season. And their form was real, but they've, they've fallen off the edge of a cliff where they're not just getting beaten. They look like a bottom four side, Brisbane. You know, that's, that's, that's the truth of the matter. They look like a bottom four side, not a team that's worthy of playing in the top eight. They would be cannon fodder week one of the finals in their current form. I mean, I remember when Ben Eichen went in there and he said that there was a, there was a problem with the culture in the dressing room and they, they looked to change that uh, with, alongside Kevin Walters and they looked to have done that. They looked to have got rid of some uh, disruptive influences and things. So uh, have you got any steer on, on why things well, have gone so badly at this end of the season? Well, right, right, okay, so going all the way back to the start of the season, there was little murmurs saying that players were upset that they were being trained too hard. Now, does that mean that that's the reason why they're fading now? But I tell you what, Kevin Walters was certainly entitled to give the team the rounds of the kitchen after Thursday night. When back-to-back you've conceded in excess of 50 points, <laughs> what, and, and players, some players are apparently reportedly upset at the way he spoke to them? Come on! <laughs> like, harden up. That is awful the last two weeks. Kevin Walters is entirely right in doing what he's doing. And I'll tell you what, if it was a Craig Bellamy, if it was a more experienced coach, you know, Blake, that's, mate, Bellamy gave it to Melbourne on, on Friday night, having lost to the Roosters by 18-14, Bellamy wound them up. So Kevin Walters is dealing with a totally different kettle of fish here. He's talking to a team that has been beaten by 50 points back-to-back weeks. Of course he's got to rip into them. The expectation from every fan would be that he rips into them, not mollycoddle them. Um, no, I, I'm, I mean I can't believe that coming out of uh, coming out of the uh, out of the Broncos camp. If that's the truth, yeah, yeah it's a it's, it's a head shaker, mate. It's a head shaker. I, I've got to say, uh, we should uh, what we what we talk about the you know the disasters that are that are the Broncos and the Warriors season. We should give mm. props to uh, to Sticky Stewart though and his Canberra Raiders. They have stuck and stuck and stuck, and now they yep. are in the eight, and it's all for them to lose after they smashed the Seagulls forty eight six. Yeah, in the real form students, this is where we have a problem. Yeah, I, and I'll admit, I, I, and I'm a rugby league nerd, but I don't quite study the draw as hard as others. Like, I just go week to week. I know my games. I love talking about it and covering it. But the real form students kept warning me, you know, mid-season, well, look at the Raiders' draw back in. Look at, you know, you look at the draw. All they've got to do is accumulate enough points if they get any sort of role. They then play a whole bunch of teams. It was the same with the Sharks. I kept being told about the Sharks. Look at their draw back half of the season, and so it is. You know, they've, they've, they've had a softer draw, if you like, than, than some others, but for the run home to the finals, they're certainly, if they're in any sort of shape, they're going to win matches, and that's proven correct with Cronulla. They did not play well against the Bulldogs the other day, but they've, they're good enough to beat them. You know, 16, yeah, it was 16-0. It was a bit of a bludge of the game. And with Canberra, um, they, 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 you know, they found something. They've, 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 they've won the matches they... You know, most of the games they're expected to win, and that's going to be good enough now with the downturn of the Broncos um, to get them in the eight. Look, if the Broncos had held their nerve, Canberra don't make the eight, but, you know, you've got to put yourself in with a chance. The Raiders have done that, and who's to know what they do? First week of the finals? You, don't, you, you just don't know. You know, they're going to be, they're going to be there. And, um, I, you know, I, I, for one, apologies to Tigers. I had Canberra do win on Sunday against the Tigers and go into the finals with, with good winning form, and up just there to make up the numbers. I hope they have a red-hot crack. Yeah, I think they will, mate. I think they will. They're, they've certainly got the form on this. So I'll tell you, a team, you know, we talk about teams who have uh, fallen off a cliff uh, this season after Rainbow Gate. That's been manly, hasn't it? I mean, do you think oh. Desi Hasler's got anything to worry about? 
Oh, yeah, well, I think he does. Um, the uh, I feel really sorry for you know, Manly to Canberra. The, the few fans that travelled down to Canberra, they said they did said deserve an apology, and they probably deserve a you know a reimbursement of the petrol they used to drive down there and and, and ticket price. Manly should get in touch with them and refund them uh, because Manly, while they may be trying, they're not trying anywhere near hard enough. And uh, and, and that was the case the previous week at home against Cronulla, where they got beaten forty to four. Oh, 40 to 6, um, and, and then again on the weekend against Canberra. They, they have put the cue in the rack in terms of really trying their hardest. There is no way they are playing at the level of intensity from eight weeks ago. And the fans, it's OK to lose. But you want to see your team trying their best. And I don't think any Manly fan is convinced their team has tried their best the last couple of weeks. Do you anticipate off the back of this then some of those players around uh, that, that situation with the jerseys might be actively looked to move on by Manly? Are they, are they, is that the problem? Is that causing the disruption in the dressing room? Is it, has it well, caused a split? I, I, well, I'd, I'd hate to think that that is the, you know, the absolute be-all and end-all ball. Be-all be and end-all. But I do look at the character of players. That if that's been their... You know, that's given them their excuse or whatever, then I worry... Look, I really worry about them. There is no way that a Jake Trebojevic, for instance, at Manly puts in the performance that some of his teammates have the last few weeks, and Jake, sadly, has been sidelined through injury. Um, but if you want to see effort, Jake Trebojevic gives 100% every game. I can't say that to some of these other blokes, so therefore I am sitting them down, and I do want to know what makes them tick, and I, I do want to know if they're, if they're you know, carrying that baggage. You know, they have a job to do, and that's play football. And all these other things really shouldn't matter. Like I, I call them in and say... Just do your job. And I might put a, a little adjective in front of job, by the way, but I can't say it on radio. <laughs> Fair play. Fair play. You're going to give them the full Kevy Walters. Actually, I was, I was, I was feeling for you, uh, Vossi, over the last few weeks and thinking about it. I, I kept seeing uh, the blow-up in the media between Brandy and, and Cameron Smith, and I, I know that they yep. both share a studio with you at times. I mean, have, are, you, are you having to be Bill Harrigan at the moment? How's, how's life in the uh, studio for you, Vossi? Oh, look. They're, they're too clever. They're too clever to go on with it. Um, you know, Brandy said what he said, and I know for a fact it wasn't around that Penrith had a game against Melbourne coming up at all. It was an observation. Because the catalyst for the conversation, if you really want to know, was a Pat, Gar- a Pat Carrigan tackle for the Broncos, the hip drop. So it wasn't actually directly to Melbourne, but Melbourne came into the conversation and the discussion on tackling techniques and all the rest. So that's where it started. Cameron had what he had to say. And, and of course, Cameron comes from a point of view where he, he played all his career with a Melbourne Storm. So, of course, he's going to be defensive of the club that he played with if, if someone's looking back at their efforts historically, defensively. So that's where we're at. But they're too clever to get caught into some sort of slanging match. So it's been pretty easy for me. Um, you know, who's to say Penrith and Melbourne won't play again? You know, they, they might play the grand final, Penrith and Melbourne. It, it, it could be. That, that'll then I'll, I'll then try and throw some petrol on the fire that week. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll try and rile them up and get something started. Oh, quality, quality, Vossi. Hey, uh, uh, you did mention them uh, briefly, but I think they deserve more talk. Is uh, and that is Craig Fitzgibbon and his Sharks. What he's done in his first season there, I think, is flown under the radar a bit with all the other uh, big storylines going around. But they're, they're looking pretty, uh, pretty good, pretty solid in, in second place, and not a whole lot of chat about them. Yeah, I will warn our listeners. It's a pretty good record. Like, I think Craig Fitzgibbon was always going to be a successful coach. Whether he could win competitions is another thing, but I think a successful coach. Now, you look at... You know, I can come off the top of my head. 
Fred Robinson, first year as a first grade coach, wins a premiership. You know, and he is now he looks like a career coach. Um, Phil Gould, first year as a first grade coach, premiership. Uh, Michael Hagen, first year, first year as a uh, first grade coach, he won a premiership at Newcastle. It, it can happen. Craig Fitzgibbon might be looking to to uh, to join that club, which would be uh, which would be something special. But he's done a very good job. But again, the form students will tell me that Cronulla have had an easier draw. Well, I say you've got to you know, play what's in front of you. Uh, it's an outstanding effort to go from outside the top eight in your first year as a coach and, uh, and have them right in the firing line and second on the ladder. That's going to be an amazing achievement. And uh, finally, mate, before we let you go, the Warriors' last game of the season, it is at home at Mount Smart Stadium. They have the Titans visiting who look like they're safe from uh, winning the wooden spoon. Uh, it is a sellout, I've been told. Uh, there's not a spare seat in the house. What are you expecting? Oh, well, first of all, congratulations, Vodafone. What a, what a gesture. Um, buying the tickets, that, that was fantastic. Love that. Um, Titans will come capable of scoring 30-plus points. So I think... Dry day, you're going to be thoroughly entertained. Warriors, you know, who wants to see the Warriors you know, hold it for five, kick on the last, completion rates? No, ha- have a go. Let, let, let's not die wondering in this game. Um, match it, Brimson, Fafita, Firma, Jaden Campbell. You know, there's some, some decent players in the Titans side. Could be a very entertaining match, um, and uh, I hope that the Warriors come with the right mindset for it. You'll be going overs on the point spread then? I would. Yeah, I would. I would, based on what I've said. The Titans the last two weeks in defeat, scored 26 two weeks ago, and then yesterday, you know, topped the 40 even with 12 men to finish the game. So, um, you know, or, or near enough to 40 uh, yesterday. So uh, I think they're, they're very capable of scoring five, six tries. Yeah, good stuff, Ossie. Go well, mate. Uh, great to chat, as always, and we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? Hey, by the way, for our punters listening... Parramatta matches I've called this year. Mm. I am nine from nine. The year whisperer. Nine from nine. Guess who I'm calling Thursday night? Oh. Andrew Voss, I don't say this lightly, but I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm just saying it's a very bizarre stat, um, but it's been confirmed by our stats people. Nine games called this year for nine wins. That's incredible. That is incredible. The, the eel whisperer, he is. Andrew Voss, get on the eels. You heard it here on SENZ. Voss, you go well, mate, and uh, have a great call on Thursday. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks. <laughs> Andrew Voss with us there. He joins Smithy every Monday at 11 o'clock. We're 19 past 11 here on SENZ. It's 24 past 11 here on SENZ. Ricardo Paul in for Smithy through till midday. We'll get to some more of your texts shortly, but uh, just an update for you on, from the golf this morning. The Tour Championship was won by this bloke. It probably wasn't the start to the week that he envisioned but it certainly was the finish that he envisioned. Please welcome, for the first time in the history of the FedEx Cup, our three-time winner and your 2022 FedEx Cup champion, Rory McIlroy. Given everything that's happened this year and the role you've taken front and center with the changing landscape in the sport, how satisfying is it for you to stand here at the end of the season and win this year's FedEx Cup? It means a it means an awful lot. Um, I believe in the game of golf. I believe in this tour in particular. I believe on the players, and you know, I believe in the players on this tour. Um, it's the greatest place in the world to play golf, bar none. And I've played all over the world. Uh, 
And uh, you know, this is an incredibly proud moment for me, but it should also be a, an incredibly proud moment for the PGA Tour. They've, um, you know, they've they've had some hard times this year, but we're getting through it. And um, you know, that was a spectacle out there today. You know, two of the, the best players in the world going head to head for um, you know the biggest prize on the PGA Tour. And um, you know, I hope everyone at home enjoyed that. Congratulations. Thanks, Mike. So there you go, Rory McIlroy taking it out, and boy, isn't he uh, the PR media person for the PGA Tour's dream with saying about loving this tour, love the players on this tour? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's very pointed. He's been such a key part of everything going on at the moment, the big changes that both Rory and uh, Tiger Woods are trying to put in place. So I guess, in a sense, keep the PGA Tour alive and keep people going away from the LIV. You know, we uh, talked about it last week. Potentially, it might be a little too late to save Cameron Smith and the likes from jumping mm. ship because they likely have already signed contracts. And uh, who knows if you turn your back on <laughs> that, what what might happen. So it's like Super League all over again. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's a great year for Rory McIlroy. It's, it's been awesome to watch. And the way he's kind of risen up is almost like like a tiger figure in a way like the, the amount of respect that he's been afforded by the players and the you know the golf media and you know and the people that sort of follow it closely it's been really awesome to watch uh and if you do get a chance to watch that interview you definitely see a few tears in his eyes so you know this win really means a lot to him yeah yeah it's interesting that isn't it um and more to come as well on that rivalry between the pga and the live tour and what that means for the players like Cameron Smith that jump to the live tour and you know do they get to play the open do they get to play uh the masters do they get to play you know I know all of that stuff is up for uh, up for discussion at the moment it pretty much seems like the PJ Tour Commissioner said, you know, the those players have made their decision and in a nice way he said, Look, I'll respect that, but they're not they're not opening the door for them. Yeah, not coming back. Not coming back. All right. Well your thoughts on that. Let us know. Double eight double three is the Temper Bed Post text machine. We have got some great texts through here as well. Uh Paul saying he hopes that it's not the commentator's curse from Vossi. Uh Booger has texted through as well. I love Vossi too, he's a great caller. And this one I thought was interesting, uh, a perspective, you know, we uh, a lot of people talk about uh criticising teams, particularly criticising the All Blacks and, and, and how it goes too far, potentially. Uh, I think fans of sport in the UK or other parts of the world might not see it the same way. This text from Duncan, I think, uh, sums that up. Hi, Ricardo. I think us ABs fans are too nice. I'm an Aston Villa fan. Stevie G and the lads were booed off the field this morning. Imagine that Imagine that happening here. Now, from Duncan, Claret and Blue since 82. Go the ABs. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you know, it's not like they're bottom of the table or anything either, but they lost 1-0 to West Ham this morning, Aston Villa, and they got booed off the field. Some of the other texts that have come in through... Uh, is it going to take a mass cancellation of Sky subscriptions and fans not going to games before New Zealand rugby will admit their mistake and sack Fozzie? If Fozzie truly cared about the jersey, he would do the honourable thing and resign. It's not just about the losses now, it's about the damage it's doing to the jersey and all the hard work. Those who have worn it before them, such as Justin Marshall, uh, who so eloquently put it this morning. Thanks for your text as well. Hi Ricardo. This all-black season puts me in mind of Hans Christian Andersen's tale, The Emperor's New Clothes, with the NZRU and Fozzie representing the Emperor. How is it that the fans, the media, even the world media can see what has been going on for the last two seasons, yet 
they can uh, can uh, it cannot just blows my mind. The answers have been obvious for a while now, yet they have stubbornly stuck their heels in, and we the public just have to deal with it and watch a train wreck as it unfolds. Still a huge fan. I hope they find their way out of this hole, but they have dug themselves deep. That is from uh, Mikey G. Mike, thanks very much for your text uh, and this one too. Morning, Ricardo. Talking about dumb rugby, how dumb and selfish were the Crusaders to bring in one of the world's best Lucys, expose him to all their intellectual property, to take away and prepare his team accordingly? Pablo Matera has been coached by the All Blacks forwards coach for several months, so would know his style inside out. Dumb, dumb, dumb from Billy. Yeah, thanks for your text on that, Billy. It's interesting you say that. I Crusaders don't owe anything to the All Blacks. Crusaders are a separate entity altogether now. Um, they're completely separately owned. Their job is to put together a winning team, and they did that with bringing Pablo Matera in. So I get where you're coming from, but I don't think you can blame the Crusaders for that because they are doing their job. Uh, this one has just uh, popped through as well on double eight double three. Foster and Co are like gambling addicts. The next one will be the big one. Oh no, the next one will be the big one. And before you know it, you've got a, you've uh, you've got a list of everything. He should do this decent thing and step aside. No, don't rem- uh, don't forget to put your name on your text when you send them through on double eight double three. Also. Jump on the phone, 0800 150 0800-150-811. A $50 TRB bonus bet could be yours. We're going to be playing Stumped by Ricardo after the latest in news and sport with Araha. So get into it, 0800-150-811. We'll be back with that next. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it is time for Stumped here on SNZ Mornings. No Ian Smith, he will be back tomorrow. Ricardo Ball has been, you know, sitting in the chair quite nicely, keeping the gloves warm for him. Uh, Typically, I know, Ricardo, your track record in this game is not the best. No. So, are we going to have a winning Monday for you or for the listeners? Uh, Well, I think that largely depends on what category gets picked. To be honest, mm. uh, what are our categories today, Logan? Uh, well, fresh week where our $50 TAB bonus bet is what is up for grabs. The categories we have today are the Premier League. So, you know, it's, it's Ryan oh, yeah, yeah, there. It's a weak spot for me, that. Yep. <laughs> it's a weak spot. <laughs> Tragic man, you supporter that you are. New Zealand Basketball and Rugby League. So first up, we've got Lammy from Palmy North, who's going to have another crack. I believe he's been dismissed on the second question twice now. How are you doing, mate? <laughs> oh, good there. Good there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm yeah no I think I'm writing your stats there uh, checking up uh, you know ESPN cricket uh, crick info I have a little uh, tad there just was stumped by Smithy so mm. you're zero and two how are you feeling about your third time round oh yeah yeah I'm feeling okay no it's okay well you've heard what I'm gonna pick is yeah well you've heard the, the categories there uh, I don't know if you heard them before Premier League New Zealand basketball and rugby league take your pick oh mate I'm. Yes. Um, you know what? I'm going to go Premier League stuff it. Give it a go. Give it a go against Ricardo. Good stuff, Lammy. I like it. I like oh, the cut of your jib. He's cracking <laughs> his knuckles. Here we go. <laughs> First question for you. As I just mentioned, Ricardo is a punishing uh, Manchester United fan. They are currently sitting eighth place on the EPL ladder. What place are their crosstown rivals, Man City? Oh, 
Open the second. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Definitely wouldn't have thought you'd been googling that because you straight away you said Arsenal top, and you're like, yeah, I'm looking through my through my brain here. <laughs> yeah, second. Okay, Ricardo, no doubt you would have had that one too. Yeah, yeah, I had that one. Yeah, yeah. All right, second question for you, Lammy. Arsenal sits at the top of the ladder as you just mentioned, four from four. Who is last? Oh, oh God. Okay. Oh, you got me there. Um, oh, um, no, I don't know. Sorry. Just oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Throw a name um, out there. Two seconds. I know. I was going to say West Ham, but it's not West Ham. Um, Fulham. One of the worst things I have yeah. ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, not Fulham, Ricardo. Yeah, I would say uh, I actually am not one hundred percent on this because I'm not. Sh- I think West Ham winning this morning means that everybody in the league has got at least one point. And given their goal difference after the nine 0 hammering on the weekend, I'm going to say Bournemouth. <laughs> Yeah, come on, boy. Bournemouth, you say. Bournemouth, you say. One of the worst things Ooh, I cool. have ever seen done on a cricket field. Bournemouth, uh, 17th. Leicester City is uh, sitting there. Not yeah. pretty in 20th. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so oh, you are still alive there. Let me last Ooh. question. Here we go. How many times have Arsenal won the first division slash Premier League? Oh, One, two, three, four, five. I'm going to go 11. One of the worst things I have ever seen <laughs> done on a cricket field. <laughs> no, Was that right? oh. uh, Yeah, very solid guess, mate. Very solid guess. It's, it has been a while for Liverpool, I will say that. Ricardo? For Liverpool or for Arsenal? Oh, I must think. Uh-huh. Sorry, Arsenal, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I get my red teams mixed up. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> I know they won it a few times under Arsene Wenger in the Premier League. And prior mm. to that, they'd won it a few times. They won it in 89. Had a couple of wins in the 70s. Oh, I, I'm, <laughs> what did you say, Lemmy? You said 11, eh? Yeah, I said 11, but. Yeah, I'm going to go 12. Oh. One of the worst things oh, no. I have oh. ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, no way. Plus one equals 13. Oh, we were both close, Lemmy. Oh, Lammy. wow. Wow. Yeah. The twenty the two thousand and three oh four season was the last time Arsenal, the Gunners, won. So that does mean Lammy, you get your first win in stump. Wow. Mate. Well what a buzz. Thanks thanks guys. I just thought I'll just put EPL just just for the laugh of it, really, because I didn't know the other one. So yeah. So <laughs> thanks, Ricardo. I'm no worries. Where, you, where are you gonna uh, where are you gonna invest your fifty? You got anything lined up, Lemmy? No, not really. I'll probably Bangalore, Manchester United on Wednesday. Yeah, nah, fair, fair. That's probably fair. They've got Leicester, who are bottom of the league, as we know. Uh, <laughs> after that, don't we? I, so yeah, yeah. Logan picking all these all these questions about some some no name team called Arsenal. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, we can eat, but <laughs> good stuff, Lammy. Go well, mate. Enjoy yeah, that fifty bucks, eh? Oh, cheers, mate. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. He uh, picked up a $50 TAB uh, bonus, but you can bet live on your favourite sports download, the TAB app today. It is 22 away from 12 here on SENZ. 
It's 16 away from midday here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy will be back in the hot seat for you tomorrow. You can keep your texts rolling in 8833, the post text machine. Maybe the world caught up a long time ago, but the ABs had generational players between 2007 and 2015. Between that period, I would have had at least 10 players in the world 15. We would have had at least, I think that's supposed to say, 10 players in the world 15. Now we'd be lucky to have three. Once they went, we came back to the pack. Also, like many have said, we haven't evolved. We play the same style with worse cattle. We should have seen the signs after the Lions series. We'll always back them, but this is becoming a horrendous period of AB rugby. That is from Tay, the trucker. Thank you very much for your text, Tay. And I think that is a uh, a very much on the money uh, call. Also, you know, and I, I think we talked a little bit about this with Richard Lowe, but earlier in the show, uh, make sure you head to the SCNZ podcast page and check out that chat if you missed it. But, you know, the amount of intellectual property we let go offshore, you know, you look at Tony Brown, Jamie Joseph coaching Japan. Uh, you look at Chris Boyd who went and coached in England. You look at Pat Lamb who went and coached in Ireland and England. You look at Joe Schmidt who obviously is back here now but did so much in Ireland. Uh, you look at Dave Rennie over in Australia. You know, even guys... Uh, like Paul Feeney, who was the assistant coach at the Stormers, went over and coached in South Africa. Uh, there seems to be a situation with New Zealand rugby where they fall out with these guys, these coaches, particularly under Hanson and Chu, and a lot of that has been lost overseas. I think you can put as much stock in that as you can in the generational talent that you were talking about and the uh, IP of New Zealand rugby going offshore and improving everybody else around the world. So I think that's something, uh, Logan, that can't be understated either. No, definitely not. And I mean, you know, there was a big thing there. You keep referencing the Dana Johansson article that's on stuff, sort of uh, headline and, and outline, outlining a lot of these things. Sorry. Um, and the big thing there that sort of comes through is the, the arrogance to me. And I mean, we see it, you know, the, the rebuild thing you keep talking about, uh, you know, I echo everyone's sentiments there. Like, where does this term come from? I mean, it's not like... I don't know, like a you know another professional franchise, like in American sports or whatever, where they have a draft system and salary caps, and year in and year out, you know, they might go up, they might go down. So sometimes they'll enter a rebuilding phase. Something like an international property like the All Blacks, considering the amount of you know talent we have in the country, all the competitions that we've got going on, we should be having. People coming through all the time. One one person steps out and the next person takes that opportunity. Why is that not happening? No, exactly. It, it seems to be this, because we had, a, I guess you'd call it a dynasty under Graham, Sir Graham Henry, that they think that now every coach has to basically coach until he doesn't want to coach anymore. <laughs> um, but the, the, I don't, uh, you know, I think those things are... Uh, I don't even say generational, you know, those things are kind of maybe once every 30 or 40 years, not something you should expect every time you appoint a coach that he's going to be there for eight to 10 years. Yeah, and one text that we had early, I think right at the start of the show, sort of talking about, you know, I, I wanted to watch the game with my sons and they laughed at me. Yeah. And we there was someone last week, uh, I'd, or the week before, you sort of talked to Staffy and basically saying, I don't want an All Blacks jersey because uh, they suck. Yeah. You know, so not only do we have people, you know, like us sort of talking about them in, you know, the sort of negative manner that we have been, you've got young, impressionable, you know, Kiwis coming up now that just don't care. And when you lose, the, you know, people texting now because they care, but you've got these, you know, younger people coming through who don't care, 
you are screwed. Yeah, totally, because that affects, you know, going forward, what's, uh, you know, the next generation of fans. No, exactly. And I mean, I mean, for me personally, I watched the uh, Toihi final and I thought, cool, I'll then flick over and watch the All Blacks. And I was just, yeah, I could see it happening. I was bored out of my mind and I knew exactly where this game was going. It's just rinse and repeat at the moment. As Foster said, they take two steps forward and one step back. It's just, it's like they're not learning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a great call, Logan. Uh, this, uh, this text came through from TJ earlier. I think this is really good too. On the head coaching thing, Foster, 50% win in eight years with the Chiefs. 50% win rate in eight years at Super Rugby level. Highlights are a 32-17 loss to the Brumbies in the 4 final and a 61-17 loss in the 9 final, which was a record loss for a final in Super Rugby. With the All Blacks, 17 wins, one draw, nine losses, and two wins are versus Fiji and one each versus Italy, Tonga in the USA. So that's five of the 17 wins. Scott Robertson is a head coach, five years with Canterbury, two titles, two years with the under-20s and a title, six years with the Crusaders, six titles. Foster watched a great coach in Hanson while Robertson was being a great head coach. Uh, TJ, I think you have absolutely nailed that. That is, uh, I don't think I could have said that any better. Um, so, uh, well said. Keep your texts coming through. I know that uh, staff is going to have midday madness as well. So, more chances for you to ring through on 0800 150 Hey, you want to win an ultimate mates weekend? Um, check this out. It's valued at five grand. Includes tickets to the Warriors, accommodation, dinner, a driving range experience, and a $500 voucher. All thanks to our mates at Lifestyle Focus. Just go to senzradio.nz and head to the win page, and you and some mates could be having an ultimate mates weekend in Auckland with tickets to the Warriors as well. Get amongst that. When we come back, staff joins us, and we'll find out what's going to happen after 12. It's Ty Power's Bigfooty final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Bigfooty final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.